This recording was made at Grace Bible Fellowship in Washburn, Wisconsin. The message is given by Pastor Keith Vick on Easter Sunday, April 8, 2012. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the reading of the word. Last month out in the coast of Oregon, there was a young boy who was uh, beachcombing. And he came upon an object he had never seen before and, and uh, went to retrieve it among the rocks and uh, knew that he had come upon something that wasn't the normal thing you find on the beach. And uh, turns out it was a burial urn. And uh, the man's name was on there. And born 1875, died 1925. So this is 2012. That's a few years ago. And he didn't quite know what to do, so he took it to a, a funeral director in his town of Astoria, Oregon, and uh, somehow got on the news. And uh, anyway, long story short, it was found out the family to whom this man was a predecessor of. And uh, turns out his name was George. I'll just use his first name, George. George had hung around in a closet in a house from about 1925 to about 1978. And then the owner of the house, it sounds like, had gone through divorce, and it turns out George was a uncle of an ex-mother-in-law, and the guy just didn't want him around anymore. So he let his ex-mother-in-law know about this, and from what he knew, uh, provisions had been made to take George, 
and take his ashes out about 50 miles out into the ocean. And they were deposited in the Pacific Ocean about 1978. And then the thing then, the story that made me chuckle was the line that this young man wanted to make sure that the ashes were returned to his loved ones. I don't think they care less whether George was there or not. But the funny thing to me is, and it's not funny, it's how death has a way of always showing up some way and reminders of it. There's always a reminder of death. The best day to go to the cemetery is not Memorial Day. The best day to go to the cemetery is Easter. That's when you go to the cemetery. Yes, we have the reminder of death. Yes, it's there. It always comes back somehow. It makes the news every day, doesn't it? Every day it makes the news. Every day. On the top of the hour. Every day it makes the news. And yet, there is a greater power. There's something stronger than death. So death has a way of resurfacing, coming back, being reminded. So George washes up after he's been dead for 85 years. His ashes come back. Now, what they're going to do with him this time, I don't know. Maybe they'll take him further out in the ocean. I have no idea. But the fact is, there's something stronger than death that we are reminded of constantly. And that is the resurrection. But the question I have for you this morning is, how does a historical event like the resurrection, and that's the, the Bible portrays it as a historical event. I, I accept it as a historical event. There have been people who have done the best they can to disprove it, and you will get people who will argue both sides. But the fact is, is that there is something powerful that has affected many, many people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm smiling up here when Amanda's singing, I know that my Redeemer lives, and my eyes shall see him. Where does that kind of hope come from? Where does that kind of hope come from? Is it me having power to believe? To, have, to believe some kind of story? Is, is the power in my belief? Or, as she said in the song, if you listened, Jesus comes into his temple. And from the time of Christ until now, yes, men erect temples, people put temples up, they put churches up, they put buildings up and say, this is a temple. But the scripture says that the temple that Jesus comes into is the human heart. And those who know him, he resides with them. He is with them. But as I thought about it again, here we have what the Bible gives us is a historical event. There is an empty tomb. There, is, there were grave clothes now, probably, it's hard to say that it sounds like maybe the, the burial tunic was left kind of undone. If you know the story of the Shroud of Turin, 
Maybe it was left undone, but John specifically says that the head covering, the covering that was over his head, was rolled up and left to the side. So some kind of preparation, something happened. It made it specific. And I loved it as we stood by the beach this morning. Sorry if you, if you felt left out. It was really not. It was one of those hard calls to make. I've got a make-up plan in, in, in my mind for later on. So it says in the Gospel of Luke that when Peter and John came to the tomb, they met some angels there. And as we were reading at the beach this morning, it struck me. These angels were kind of like, what's wrong with you? He said he was going to rise again. He's not here. Can you hear kind of the incredulous? I don't know what angels talk like specifically, but you can hear kind of the incredulity in their voices like, what's the matter with you? He said he was going to rise again. I say this because the story presents itself as fact, and I believe it is fact. I think there's a lot to back it up. But what it says is, what the, what the Bible says is something that happened many, many, many years ago. In that event, we can be present. Now, I think the Battle of Gettysburg was pretty important, don't you? Pretty decisive battle. Were you there? No. Sorry. Ryan said he was. I'll disagree with him. Maybe it was, maybe it was Thad said that. I don't know. Nope. Sorry. Uh, if you think you were at Gettysburg, you can be there in the books, you can be there in the histories, you can understand what was there. And if you remember the old Walter Cronkite, you were there. Remember that program? You were there. Way before the kids' this time. We couldn't be there. I'm sure the signing of the Declaration of Independence was very important. Were you there? Very important historical event. Not present. How did Paul, the Apostle Paul, how has the church for 2,000 years, how have Christians for, for all this time, how have they been transformed from within by an event that literally happened where physically they weren't there? Angie, could you put up the first? I, want to, I had Rose read from Ephesians this morning. Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote. Oh, I'd say probably 25 years, something like that, after Christ's resurrection. So it was not within just a few years. It was written a couple decades later, maybe a decade and a half later. Paul had uh, done some missionary work in Ephesus, and now he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing a letter to this church. And so it's a a letter of teaching. It's a letter of reminder. Um, But... Look at the language as, as we read this. This is before what Rose read. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this is Paul speaking to those through a letter. He says, I'm praying for you. So there's a relationship here. He has a relationship with these people. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So in other words, again, the most important thing in our lives, I won't back down from this, the most important thing in our lives is a comprehension of God, an accounting of him, taking him into account. You take yourself into account all the time. 
constantly. But the scriptures portray that if we are truly going to have life, we will take God into account. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Again, where's, where's the effect? The effect is this thing that we call the affections, the things within us that cause us to do the things that we do. With the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. How many of you turned a light switch on this morning? Now you don't need to raise your hand. We just do it, don't we? We're Americans. We're used to lights on. I bet you my kids have been without power maybe three days in their whole life. We are used to turning power on. But is this power that that Paul is talking about here, is it that kind of on-demand power? You know, whenever I want God, I turn him on. When I don't want God, I turn him off. No, this is God's power. This is his power towards people. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, and this is the next part, this is really important, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The work that God does on behalf of people to know him comes by his design and his purpose through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was something that historically happened that Easter time back then, that Passover time. They didn't call it Easter back then. The Passover lamb. All the Old Testament led up to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The story is complete in him. And it goes on, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's alive, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Again, why do people freak out about death? It's because there's not very many people that come back. But the scriptures say one, the most important one, came back. And he offers something to anyone who will hear him. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And again, I speak to those of you that aren't visitors. I speak to you that are Grace Bible Fellowship. I speak specifically to you right here. We are his body here. How does Jesus Christ exhibit himself to our community? He exhibits himself through us. Yes, this building is here. Yes, we have a sign out there. Yes, we do events. But you are the temple of Jesus Christ to our community. Does he live inside you, Grace Bible Fellowship? That's what we want. We want him living inside of us. Knowing him, walking with him. He walks with me, he talks with me. Christ is to be known. He is the greatest gift given. And he is alive. Paul goes on into the the sections that Rose read for us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. A different word for power here. This, this word for power carries with the idea of the freedom to exercise or to act. In other words, um, how Paul describes, and this would be a, 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 re, a reminder that we do face opposition. Um, if you were here when our brother from Egypt was here listening to him, he did not shy back from saying that there is opposition to the work of Jesus Christ where he is at. And he specifically put name of Satan on there. And I, sometimes I think we Americans kind of back away from that. Oh, that's, there's just, that's just psychology. That's, again, that's not how the Bible presents this. Just simple psychology. What is it that motivates us? What is it that sits inside of us and causes us to think of the things that we do and do the things that we do? What is the power at work within you? As you live your life out, what is the power at work within you to make you do what you do, to value the things that you value, to see the things that you see as important, and to let go of the things that you don't think are important? Where does that power come from? Well, Paul uses very powerful language. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. See how he combines a state with a, a standing state, a, a, a way that I, this is who I am. This is what I do. Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Just doing whatever everybody else is doing. Normal living. Uh, I was talking to somebody this morning. I think it was John. We were talking. You know, we're listening to some music and we're hearing the music in the background. And we're kind of laughing because we remember when we used to go out and buy 45 RPM records. And we play the song over and over and over and over and over again. And now on these little boxes like this, there's a thousand songs. But some things just don't change. The way we listen to music, the music we listen to may change, but some things don't change. And they're as true back in that day as they are today. What power is at work in your life? Why do you do the things that you do? And why do you hope for the things that you hope for? Or what do you hope for? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Now this, don't, don't get this idea that this is some, when he uses this idea of passions of the flesh, that this is some orgy kind of party kind of thing. This is just the idea that, what, what, again, what motivates people to do the things they do? Why do they do the things they do? And the, and the Bible points out and says there are people, you have, you have a choice between who you will serve. You will either serve God or you'll serve yourself. And who can deliver best on the goods, you could honestly say after a while. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like all the rest of mankind. And so the Bible portrays all people as people under God's wrath. Sounds, sounds wicked, sounds bad. But the fact is, if we all trace our own hearts, can we stand before a holy God, one who is perfect, one who is true, And what do we deserve? What do we deserve? 
One of the most incredible changes in all of Scripture happens right here. Because it paints a very... Paul does an incredible job of taking what he knew to be the power of his life, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took that, that message of the resurrection throughout the known world at the time. He suffered for it, nearly killed many times for it. But God wasn't finished with him yet. And he reached out to make what was a historical event, an actual event, understood to people as an event in which they were present themselves. For at the cross, sin is punished. And in the empty tomb, forgiveness is found. And so Paul says, what do dead, I love it this way, what do dead people do? Not much. And how alive are dead people if they are dead in their sins and trespasses? How alive are they to God? They're not. This is one of the most crushing things to a religious spirit. A religious spirit says, I can somehow do enough to gain favor with God, and he will accept whatever I've done as enough payment to let me in. Or to give me a good life. Dead people can't do that. They have no abilities. Here, Paul says, dead people before God have no abilities to please him whatsoever. In fact, all they are is really children of wrath. Somebody who deserves punishment. And then, in verse 4, huge twist. One of the most powerful two words in all of Scripture. But God. God is the one at work. Salvation is of God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. 25 years removed from the cross and the, and the empty tomb of Christ. 25 years, it would seem like there's no power here. Things diminish after a while. I'm sure there were not a lot of tears shed for George's funeral urn when it was received back into the family again. Nobody remembered him. Nobody knew who he was. But God says, this is my testimony to you. I love you. I sent my son in a merciful fashion for you. I have had mercy upon you. There are people who look at the cross and and they they see it as a way in which they have to do some kind of penance and trying to constantly to, again, work up the ability to please God. And all God says is, I love you. Come to me, believe me, trust me, that you couldn't do enough to please me. Whatever I needed to have done to please me, my son has done. And he's done it for any and all who will receive him. 
Because when we were, it's, when did he do this? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It's like doing something nice for your daughter, even though she's just not cleaned her room. I'm saying that for my wife's sake. <laughs> Showing mercy. Showing compassion. And again, I'm speaking to Grace Bible Fellowship. I'm if you others want to listen in on this, listen in. Grace Bible Fellowship, we are to be people of mercy and compassion to our community. For that is the message that we bear to people. Not of condemnation. Not of we're better than you. We know somebody we want you to know him too. That's what we want to have. But it's amazing. Again, Paul points out the Christian, the Christian, the believer in Christ, the power for the the life of belief in Jesus Christ is in the resurrection. Not as a historical event that is somehow removed from us like the Declaration of Independence, which we enjoy the benefits of the Declaration of Independence to this day. Now, you could go in the South and maybe have an argument that the, 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 the outcome of Gettysburg was a good thing. But I think we enjoy the benefits of you know, the Battle of Gettysburg, but it's a historical event, but it's removed from us in some ways. The Bible says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not removed from us. It is present to us. It is, something, it is God's way to enter into that kind of power, a relationship with him in the living Christ. It is God's design that we were there. At the cross. And he was our replacement. He took upon himself my sins. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, this is one of those things, again, believers. Where's home? Is this home? It's kind of a nice pleasant inn maybe or maybe it's just a cheap motel for some of us, but it's not home. Much better's coming. And the Bible says we can be in two places at one time, here and there, in Christ. That's us. So we travel light and we travel with purpose. Seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I can't imagine what the party's going to be like. But God just wants to, he just wants us to see what he has done immeasurably. And of course, many of you have seen these last verses many times in your life. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. What does God want from you? What can you give him that he doesn't already have? Can you really take anything from him? Here's where we step into this place. The difference between life and death, between freedom and hopelessness, 
It is to see what has been done so that we can go on and do what we're supposed to do. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which comes first? The works or the grace? The grace comes first. The relationship comes first. The resurrection comes first. The power comes first to live the life. You don't get the power to live the Christian life after the fact. You get it before the fact. It's in a response, in a relationship to him. One man wrote it like this. Jesus took our place and received the punishment due us. God's justice is satisfied because our sin is paid for. All we need do is accept what Jesus has done for us when he gave himself up for us. This is what it means to be saved by faith. I'm not trusting in what I have done to save myself. Listen to this next line. Really important for some of you to hear this next line. Nor do I condemn myself because of my sins. I have stuttered. I'm going to say it again. I'm not trusting in what I have done to save myself. Nor do I condemn myself because of my sins. Why? Instead, I trust in what Jesus has done for me to save me. In my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It is so easy to confuse our standing with God. It is truly in what he has done for us. And what he has done for us was he raised Jesus from the dead. Why is that important? Why is something 2,000 years ago really, really, really important? Because it's God's design. Truly, those who believe the message of Jesus Christ were there. And when Christ rose from the dead, so did we. Now, if you find that hard to believe, I'm with you. But the fact is, I don't think the Bible gives us any other choice but to believe. And many, 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 many people through the ages now, through the millennia now, have found just what he said he would do. He would live with them and inside them. What motivates you in life? What's your hope? What are you pursuing? What's your dream? What do you hope to accomplish? Will your funeral urn somehow float back up on shore someday? And somebody will be reminded of you just for a few more moments and then stuff you in another closet somewhere? Or do you have a hope that's far greater than that? Now, I don't know if any of you would take me up on my offer today, but today's the day to go to the cemetery. Today's the day to remember that someday, every one of those bodies will rise again, according to the scriptures. 
and that all people will stand before a holy God. And when you stand before him, what will you offer him? Will you offer him what he gave you? The Lord Jesus Christ? Or will you offer him some kind of a substitute for him? I pray that you will take him up on his offer. The offer of freedom from forgiveness of sins and the offer of a relationship, the offer to become his temple, the offer to walk with him, the offer to be with him forever. And it all comes out of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he is alive.